This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers. Ready your ears. It's time for another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Sometimes the idea of making a change can feel as overwhelming as choosing a Messina ice cream flavour. But as today's guest reveals, the first step to overcoming the fear of choice is simple. Get out of your own way. I'd love to welcome Eva McKinley to the show today. After experiencing a horrible realisation about the amount of plastic being dumped into the ocean, Eva resolved to rolling up her sleeves and springing into action. Enter The Last Straw, a campaign aiming to abolish the use of plastic straws in venues around Australia. Since its humble beginnings in 2015, The Last Straw has saved 20 million plastic straws from entering the waste system. I'm thrilled to be talking to Eva today about what it takes to start a social movement, how to engage our community, and how we too can learn to get out of our own way. Let's dive in. Eva, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by the Peers Project. We're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So look, you and I connected over LinkedIn pretty recently, actually, um, when I saw your amazing social impact work. And I knew I just had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. Of course. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name's Eva, a Tasmanian native living in um, Melbourne, the big city life. And uh, for the last couple of years, I've been running a campaign called The Last Straw, um, which is essentially a campaign to try and um, help people address the way that they think about plastic waste and consumption. Mm. I love that. And we were just saying prior to going on air that you, it's just blown up. You know, that campaign has just gone nuts. It's gone everywhere, which is absolutely awesome. And I cannot wait to dive deeper into that. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I have an interesting answer to an interesting question, I suppose. Um, so I come from a single parent family um, and my mother didn't have a job um, for as long as I can remember. So um, it was really interesting, actually, that 
there was no sort of pressure or expectations or no, you know, this is what we think that you'll achieve or be. And so I kind of was a little bit free to be able to shape my own ambitions in that way. Mm. So. so what do you mean by your mum didn't have a job? What? Um, <laughs> how, how did that? I'm thinking, how did that work? Yeah. Oh, she um, lots of family history, but oh, yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, I see. Interesting. Okay, so look, what, how do you think that shaped you as a you know a younger growing up? Soon, your mum, you know how how did that shape you? Mm. Um, so I think it it kind of gave me a real um, experience of being able to dream and shape my own path instead of um, sort of you know having any expectations put out in front of me like you know your parents want you to go to this university or um you know this is this professions in the family or anything like that um so I kind of was um brought up being able to to craft my own path which Mm. was yeah pretty Mm. exciting (laughs) I love that so so what were some of the early things you did as a child you know was there something that you kind of loved doing and that you constantly do did and then how did that passion shape what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, I suppose I've always been interested in the community. Um, I don't like the way I think about it. Is some people really like sport, mm-hmm. some people yeah. really like music. You know, for me, it was always um, I really liked volunteering, um, and so I, you know, I did all the welfare committees at school and that kind of thing, um, and that turned into I was a really cool teenager. <laughs> I spent my um, summers in the office of a local organisation in Hobart, um, volunteering wow. and. Um, but it was all work that was incredibly rewarding for me. So, you know, that organisation in particular was helping um, young people in Tasmania build resilience and, and um, create projects for community good in their areas. So yeah. I guess it's always been kind of part of my lifeblood <laughs> almost. I love that. Where do you think that passion for community building, giving back came from? I think I was sort of raised with this idea of um, service above self, I suppose, and that's something that's kind of um, stuck with me in that I could do things for my own personal gain or I could do things that help other people along the way. I know that sounds really corny, but it's, um, yeah, it's kind of just the way that my mindset was Mm. um, growing up. So it's kind of gone into my adult life as well. It most definitely has. I mean, I think that what you've built with this campaign over the last couple of years is a testament to that, which is just so cool to see. Okay, so talk to me a bit about those early, even the early years. So, you know, you're delving into everything social impact at a very early age. You know, what, you know, you didn't really have an expectation of, of what to do with your life. What did you decide to do when it came to university, college, that kind of thing? I actually I didn't go to university till I was twenty five, <laughs> so um, and that was mostly because of um, I was a, a carer for a little while for my um, my younger siblings, um, more family things, fun boys. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I hated the idea of university at first. Um, I suppose it was the extreme of that um, childhood manifestation of not having any um, boundaries. Mm. So I hated the idea of someone telling me how to think and, you know, what was right and what was wrong. I wanted to kind of figure that out for myself. But um, yeah, I suppose when I when I finally did uni, it was with the understanding that um, I'd 
I come to think that university would teach me how to think mm. as opposed to what to think. So um, I ended up doing a degree in international studies mm-hmm. um, with the Middle East studies major and Arabic as well on the side, So, um, which was just an amazing course to do. I found that when I saw that, actually, when I read about you, when I saw that part about the Arabic, it absolutely blew me away, you know, and I I wanted to, it's actually here on one of my notes to talk about today, (laughs) I wanted to learn a bit more about why you chose to do that and and what your experience has been like with that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think, like, for a very practical reason, it's a widely spoken language in lots of different iterations, many places in the world. It's the UN language. Um, It's... Yeah, and, and it, like for me personally, it's it's a beautiful language as mm. well. But um, on a personal side, so my first job was at a little takeaway shop um, in the bus mall in Hobart with a Syrian family. Wow. Um, and this was, I can't even remember, must have been 2008, um, something like that. Shows how old I am. But no, it was earlier than that. Anyway, um, yeah, so this family were just so kind and so um, giving to me, obviously picked up, I was <laughs> had um, interesting family history and so they, you know, took, took care of me and they were kind of my pseudo family um, for a while. And, and along that um, time, I kind of picked up enough Arabic, like not to speak, but enough to understand kind of what was going on. And, you know, I learned about Ramadan and I learned about um, the pillars of Islam and, and the beautiful parts of that religion and those people. And so um, it kind of, yeah, really inspired me to go and learn a little bit more about a culture and a language and a people that were so different from my very, um, yeah, white upbringing. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Okay, wow. I knew there would have been a backstory there. I was like, this doesn't really make much sense. (laughs) I want to dive a bit deeper into that. So what, you know, what was that like for you, obviously, having come from, you know, not you know maybe more sheltered a background or whatever it is you weren't as exposed to different religions cultures like many of us you know growing up in the western world what do you think that really taught you about the world I think it's um gave me a really solid understanding that person to person we're honestly just all the same Mm. um and that you know when you zoom out a lot you can make generalizations about different um religions or groups of people or um but when you actually get to know people on a personal level um it's all about taking care of one another and caring for each other and hearing about how their day was and all that kind of thing so it's just sort of um I suppose it really taught me the importance of um not generalizing and and taking those relationships to a a micro level Mm. why do you think so many of us generalize you know why do you think we I mean, whew, there's so much we could talk on that. But, you know, what, why do you think – what are some of the things that you think about the reason why we, we tend to generalise? I think um, people have a tendency to other, mm. um, other people that may not on a surface level mirror exactly their beliefs. I think it's a – in a way it's a – um, it's a safety thing. You mm. want to try and stick with people that think the same or look the same or sound the same as you, um, which is, I don't know, maybe it's a survival thing. Mm. Maybe it's a, um, who knows, well, 
you know, I suppose there's a lot of theory about where it comes from. I don't know where it comes from, but um, I suppose at the end of the day, um, it's just a matter of like trying to consciously break out of those things that um, those little parts of um, human nature, like those instinctive things that we do, which just don't make any sense anymore. Mm-hmm. So. I couldn't agree more on it. It's so funny that you... I think I, I, the reason why I'm asking so many questions about this Arabic and, and I love it is also because I, I had the opportunity to study Chinese um, and Mandarin when I was at university and actually all the way through my high schooling and all that. And I just I, – I studied in China for a bit as well and I think that for one, obviously, the cultural shock was so different but at the same time – it's literally, I so resonate with what you said around it. We're all just the same. Even if we've got language barriers, we think differently, different religions. And that's what I found with the, you know, for, for myself experiencing the ch- China mm-hmm. and, and being out there and, and understanding the, the culture and the, the fact that it is so different. And then it actually almost, for me, brought down those walls a little bit around other people and being able to stop considering people as other or, or what whatever it may have been mm-hmm. and it's been so beneficial for me personally on my on a personal level my own personal growth and so that's why I'm so fascinated to hear you know what what you've done there so I love that so talk to me a little bit about how you know I want to progress a little bit more into how this idea for the lustral came about so obviously you were studying you'd, you'd been open your eyes had been opened up to different cultures and languages where did this all fit in? Um, so I, with my love for volunteering, um, unfortunately the good work doesn't always pay that well. <laughs> um, and so I worked nights as a bartender for mm. about 10 years. Yeah. Um, and part of that time, so I always kind of saw it as separate from the other work that I was doing. Mm. Um, so while I was working in fundraising and campaigning, um, I'd go and work this job at night that I thought was, you know, a totally different world. Um, and then I, I guess I had an aha moment one night when I was throwing out rubbish at the end of the shift. So like there's a, usually a sink or a drain or something where you throw all the contents of a glass before you put it in the dishwasher and, um, emptying this. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plastic, black plastic straws, um, just kind of sitting there. And I had a bit of a I was like, how one, I've worked in this industry for so long, how have I never noticed this before? Um, two, what happens to these when I throw them in the bin? And if this is how much waste that one small bar mm. in Hobart is making, imagine how much waste is um, coming from all across Melbourne, all across Asia, all across Europe. You know, it's unbelievable scale. So, um, yeah, I did a little bit of research into plastic waste and especially numbers of plastic straws and, yeah, kind of thought maybe I can do something about this. Mm. I, I love that. I, I love it. It's just so humble. You're like, oh, maybe I could. And then look what it's turned into. You know, I want to dive a bit deeper into mm-hmm. that decision to actually act on your idea. You know, I think so many of us, our peers out there listening, you know, may have may have an idea and they're like, I think I want to do this, but they, they don't actually do anything about it. About it. You know, mm-hmm. how did you gain the courage to actually act on this? Yeah, sure. I, um, I think the, the best advice, I was a really shy kid, mm. girl, like no social skills whatsoever, like really. Um, and I remember having this desire to do good work and then always finding um, that I'd trip myself up by not putting myself out there or, you know, staying silent and um, 
And the best piece of advice I ever got um, was from this amazing um, public speaker, Robin Moores, who used to do the voice of Blinky Bill. I was lucky <laughs> enough to be in the same room as her one day. Um, and she said to me, it's not about you. <laughs> like, get out of your way. Like, what are you doing? It's not, you know, what the work that you're trying to do. Why are you standing in the way of being able to make that happen? Um, and that's kind of been the, I suppose, the mantra that I've brought forward with me is, yeah, like, what, like it's not about you, one, and get out of your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I suppose for me in starting The Last Straw, that was it. You know, it, it's once you do a little bit of research into what the issues are and you, um, you learn about what's happening to our oceans and the ecosystem <laughs> from this mm-hmm. mass plastic waste, it can't be about you anymore. It's got to be about something more than that. Mm-hmm. So. I love that piece of advice. I think we're all going to take take that away with us from today. Mm-hmm. I, a question I want to ask is, you know, why do you think we get in our own way? Um, I think we we live in our heads a lot, and I think um, especially here in Australia, we're very um, sort of self focused, like individual focused, mm. and so. Um, maybe we're we're thinking about ourselves and we're in our head so much that um, we forget that most of what we're thinking about isn't actually real um, and that we're sort of making up stories that stop us from doing things that might be a little bit uncomfortable um, or that might take a social interaction or, um, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah, I think that's a, a lot about that. We, we do um, sort of make things up to give ourselves a reason not to do things because it's easier. Mm. I could, I actually couldn't agree more. I think that what you said, because it's easier, mm-hmm. is just so true. I think we just tell ourselves, well, why would we put ourselves out there? You know, why would we go on that podcast or why would we even kind of pursue that idea when we could just say, stay here, be comfortable? Yep. Now, how do we get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm, it. It's totally. such a huge question. It's a huge question. Because that's, you know, that's the state state of growth and change happens in a state of discomfort. Like that's the only way that you get forward. And I think, yeah, like when you when you don't have to step outside of that, it's um, kind of a, a bit of a struggle too. <laughs> I could not agree more. No, I love it. Okay, so talk to us a bit about that progression in the last straw. So obviously you started it you were like, yep, this is it. I'm going to make this happen. It's not about me anymore. You know, <laughs> what were what were some of the early challenges you faced? Um, I think the first one was that – so I started the last straw in 2015 and – that was very much before the waste revolution. Mm. So nobody cared wow. about straws. No, it was a complete non-issue. Yeah. So it was like trying to push a boulder up a hill. Um, I'd go in and talk to countless businesses and say, hi, have you thought, you know, would you sign up to the last straw? Have you thought about changing your straw use? Um, and, yeah, <laughs> had no response. Um, yeah. So... I think, yeah, what what the first step was was to figure out how to make it an issue. Um, and that ended up being tapping into um, the consciousness of the public mm-hmm. instead of going from the, the business route to start with. Um, businesses follow the wants and needs of their um, customers. And so, yeah, I thought, well, how do we make the customers think that this is... Um, we'll see that it's an issue. Um, and so 
yeah, the gift of social media really helps mm. with that, I suppose. We um, went live with social media just around the same time as that video of the straw in the turtle's nose came oh, out. That I think yes. as soon as I say that, everyone knows what uh, I'm talking yeah. about because they just kind of went everywhere. But yeah. such a horrific piece of footage. Um, and I think that kind of really gave people a sense of what it looks like on the other side, like what happens after you throw that straw in the bin, um, where, where it goes. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, huge. So, so from that kind of added, I guess, fuel to the fire it was okay mm-hmm. we've got this now let's keep going so talk to us a bit about how you know now you've got like I think it was grilled you've got like some of the <laughs> biggest names who would just follow you guys and 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 a part of your movement you know how did you take it from no one even wants to listen to us I don't think it's a problem to like the level that you are now I think the big thing about it was that when When people talk about environmental issues, and it is an emergency, don't get me wrong, it absolutely is, but when you frame it like an emergency to the wider general public who don't necessarily see it that way, um, then they generally go into Mm. non-action and sort of dismiss it as a, you know, (laughs) lefty-greeny, like, you know, what what are you banging on about? Um, And so for me it was about framing the issue so it was relevant to Mm. the broader population. How do you do that accessible language, um, sort of a little bit of humour on the side, (laughs) like making it – like making video content that could be easily shared that was funny enough on its own without having um, to have that, you know, D-Day message attached to it as well. So um, I think that was the the key thing was sort of getting um, the broader public to think that it was an issue. And then, you know, from that you had people in the community that did care about the issue already that came forward as absolute champions and Mm. said, I'm going to go and door knock on every venue in my town and try and get them on board. Um, And then (laughs) in a really cool turn of events, um, I actually have not (laughs) had to do a lot of hard campaigning for a long time because it's actually the venues that come to the last straw. Um, And it's more about me managing the influx of (laughs) venues that want to be on board with it. So, you know, it's like every campaign is a dream, I suppose. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it went. (laughs) Wow. And I just, I love that that ended up being the case. I think it just says something about the power of community building (laughs) that clearly you've absolutely mastered, you know, and I think that's a testament to you. And then as as a result of your hard work and your team's hard work, you know, then came all the big brands and whatnot. Everyone started to recognise this is an issue and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. talk to us about, like, give us some tips on some key tips for community building, maybe top three that you'd give. Yeah, I think the first one is to know know the community or know the landscape of of people and who has... um, the best power to make change within that. So for me, it was the venues, but the venues had to come to the plate first of all. So it was leveraging the, you know, their customer base to get to that point. Um, so I suppose that's number one is knowing knowing who's on the field and um, knowing who you're going to target. Just putting a message out into the ether doesn't really, um, you know, get much results back most of the time. Many results. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the second would be to um, to bring people up with you as mm. well. If like people get inspired by hope, 
and the ability to do something. Um, so if you give people something to get excited about and then something to do, um, it's going to completely transform your movement. Um, and then I suppose it's about keeping people engaged as well. So um, don't just say, here's one thing and then leave it off. You know, mm. we've now got such an engaged long-term movement of people that uh, – and it's grown so much bigger than straws, you know. These people are making so many changes in their lives. So it's about how do you help engage the community further after that initial touch point. Mm. <laughs> Love it. I'm personally learning so much. I'm sure all of our <laughs> listeners out there are learning a lot too. I absolutely love it. So, look, in your last – I saw one of your latest posts. I think it was on LinkedIn. It was a straws, the Straws training video. And in it, it wasn't yourself, but the actor, whoever it was in it, said, by 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean by weight than fish. And that just stood out to me. You know, talk to me about how far we still have to go with this issue. Yeah, sure. Um, so that was a stat drawn from the, a report by the Dane Ellen MacArthur Foundation, the World Economic Forum, a couple of years ago, just for anyone that wants to <laughs> do some fact-checking. Um, it, yeah, that's a terrifying one. I mean, the combination of mass plastic waste with you know, overfishing and coral bleaching and, you know, all the things that are affecting um, the biodiversity of the ocean, um, it's not hard to believe that (laughs) that is something that if you continue at current rates um, would be the case. Um, Another report recently um, said a similar thing but about seabirds, that every seabird in the world at this current rate is expected to have some kind of plastic ingested by 2050 as well, which is just devastating. I mean, yeah, and and that means that plastic's travelling to the most remote places in the world um, by birds that think it's food and feeding it to their chicks. And it's, um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah, devastating when you look at the impact in that way. Mm. I think it's just such a testament to... What you've done is such a the fact that you're working to tackle this issue, which is so real, is just phenomenal to see. I mean, over the last three years, you know, you've got 350 venues on board across Australia, which it's is incredible. Um, closer to a thousand. It's closer to a thousand. <laughs> I'm reading from your LinkedIn, which has probably been updated years ago. Um, closer to a thousand. Phenomenal. As I mentioned, grilled. You've got re- reading cinemas. I'm sure many other big brands and names. And I think it was, it, look, this might be an old stat, but you said something like, um, since starting out in 2015, you've had over 20 million plastic straws saved from entering the waste system, which is just I- incredible. And I think just a testament to all of your hard work. Look, where do you see this going? You know, where do you yourself as a founder see this movement going? Um, so I think there are two ways that it can go. So the first is that um, st- straws is a huge issue internationally Mm. um and because i think it's almost hit a bit of a saturation point in australia um which is all i mean again another campaigner's dream like basically we we won (laughs) so um it's getting to that point anyway um and it's getting to the point where enough people are championing the cause now that um 
yeah, mostly the work is done here, I think. So it's about, you know, whether the last straw takes that um, further overseas. I mean, we've had quite a few people from different countries write in and say, can I set up a branch wow. here? Um, so give them the logo and the resources and we translate it together and they, wow. you know, go and um, work in the way that they it works in their community. Um, but the other side of it is also um, taking the energy of the movement looking outside of straws. Mm. Um, so at the moment we're looking at um, developing a campaign around responsible travel. Um, I mean, there are a lot of tourist beaches, um, one in Thailand specifically that was featured in um, on the movie The Beach mm. um, that has since that time had so much tourism, so much irresponsible tourism that they've had to close the beach indefinitely um, to try and help it recover. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so a- another thing that we're doing is um, looking at, well, how do you, you know, travel is such a huge part mm-hmm. of a lot of people's lives these days of modern life. So um, how do we do it in a way that's less impactful to the planet? So, mm. yeah. I love that so many tackling so many big issues, and I I just absolutely love it. And you, you're just you're so humble the way you come across. It's, it's amazing to see, and I think that the fact that you've had to overcome so many personal barriers to push this movement to how far it's come in terms of having to public speak, put yourself out there is just. You know, it really does show that if you if you really want to do something and you set your mind to it, you actually can achieve that, which is so cool. All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> love it, Eva. So look. I could sit here and keep asking you all these questions and keep picking your brain because it's just so interesting. But I am conscious of time. Look, I just want to say that firstly, I just want to acknowledge you for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing. I think, you know, so many of us millennials out there, we want to go out, we want to go out and do something big. But, you know, it, it sometimes we lack the drive, the motivation, the the diligence and the grit to actually go out there and make it happen. And you're just the example that if you have those things, you can do it. And so we really appreciate you for that. Thank you so much. Of course. <laughs> Great. So I'm going to end with our final question, which is mm-hmm. how we finish all of our interviews here at The Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Ooh. <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Um I think there are <laughs> I answered so many questions with this. There are two parts. <laughs> um the first is the the personal value. So it doesn't make sense to live a life that's not fulfilling to you. Um, and, I, you know, not everyone has the means to be able to quit their job and go pursue their passion project. Um, but, you know, if there is something that you can do on the side, you know, maybe that turns into a skill that you can then um, build a career out of as well. So I think, it, you know, there are lots of ways to do um, what you are passionate about. And I think the, the value is that people are more fulfilled personally. Um and that you get to live your, um, you know, your, your meaning, what you um, really treasure the most, I suppose. And, and the, the second part to that is that the rest of the community benefits from people, um, the whole world benefits from people that are living their passion and um, doing what they think is the right thing to do in the world. So, yeah. <laughs> 
I love it, Eva. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making it today and coming on the show. Where can people learn more about you and The Last Straw? Sure. Um, so you can check out laststraw.com.au or if you just type The Last Straw Australia into a search in Facebook, we pop up there as well. Love it. We'll link those in the show notes. Once again, we've had a blast and we can, I cannot wait for all of our peers out there listening to this to actually, or all of our peers out there to actually listen to this. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at the Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs> <laughs>